Sunday, but after that, as we get back into school and schedules and all kinds of busy routines, we are going to uh, get ready, set, slow. Finding a God that invites us to rest and to be and just have times where uh, we are reminded that we are called human beings, not human doings. That God loves us because he created us in his image and not because of what we have or haven't achieved. So we're going to be taking a look at that. There's some more information coming out in the Creek Connections newsletter uh, about that. Uh, But this morning we are going to talk about what it means to continue the work of Jesus together. Uh, So as we come this morning, uh, would you pray with me? God, it is good to be here with your people, to open up scriptures with one another, to see with our eyes together what you are calling us to, to be your people, to love one another, to love you, to proclaim your name together. This morning I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, that you would speak to us this morning through me or despite me. In Jesus' name. I was putting together the pictures for our slides this morning, and there's a a certain website that I go to to pull these pictures, one that we have the rights to show to everyone, and we're not violating any copyright laws or anything like that. And I, I searched for the word together, and a lot of the pictures that came up were pictures of couples holding hands, sharing moments, quiet moments together. Um, wasn't quite what I was looking for. I found a few pictures, this one. Um, so I decided, well, I'm going to look for community. Community. Surely pictures of groups of people together will come up if I search for community. I got a lot of pictures of social media, of people on phones, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, Reddit, whatever, other social media, Snapchat, can't forget Snapchat, all the social media things. Lots of pictures of technology and screens. Not nearly as many pictures of people face to face with one another. And so it got me thinking, what is real community? And what does it mean for us to continue the work of Jesus together? And so this morning I want to look at three stories of what it means, or or three stories of ways people have worked together for Jesus. Jesus lived a life surrounded by community. In fact, as a part of God, as a God that at God's core exists as relationship and community as Father, Son, and Spirit, Jesus lived in community. He has always been about community and togetherness. In the Gospels, we see Jesus surrounded by his disciples, by 12. Uh, But there's, you know, three or four, even within that 12, that were really closest 
to Jesus. But then Jesus had a larger group of people that he was surrounded with. In Luke 10, Jesus sends out 72 out into the mission field to continue the ministry, to proclaim the good news. So he sends uh, this group, this much bigger group out. Jesus was surrounded by a community with Mary and Martha and other women who uh, really supported the ministry of Jesus, providing housing and, and food, uh, even supporting Jesus and his disciples financially out of their own pockets. In John chapter 17, Jesus even prays for the unity of believers, the unity of those that will follow him, not just the 12. It's, it's a beautiful thing in John 17 that Jesus prays for his disciples, but then he prays for us. He prays for everyone that's going to follow him through the message of these 12. But then, as the Gospels continue, we see the community of Jesus' followers get rocked to its core. See, one of the 12 that has been closest to Jesus betrays him, turns him over to the leaders of the temple. Another one of the 12, the rock, Peter, denies he even knows who Jesus is. Three times. All of the 12, with the exception of John, run and hide as Jesus is arrested and tried and crucified. And then Jesus ascent, uh, is resurrected, comes back, visits with his disciples, visits with his followers. And then he returns to the Father. He ascends. And he tells the disciples to wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And as the story of Acts begins, the community of Jesus' followers are really at a precarious place. They're about to try to carry on the work of Jesus, trusting that something more is going to happen. And the Holy Spirit comes. He fills the followers of Jesus with fresh minds, with courage to speak boldly. Peter preaches in Jerusalem and 3,000 people are baptized to become part of this community of faith. And the growing community of Jesus begins to live in bold but very peculiar ways, living a very different kind of life. We heard Acts 2, 42 to 47 read for us this morning. I encourage you to, to flip there in your Bibles or in your your app. There are four commitments, four, four commitments that Jesus' followers, this new community of faith, commits themselves to. The first one is the apostles' teachings. It involved the people that had walked with Jesus, sharing stories of Jesus' life and his ministry. They probably talked about some of Jesus' ethical and practical teachings. They relayed what Jesus had said at the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain. Uh, they talked about what Jesus had called his disciples to. They probably reminded the church that Jesus had warned about persecution, that Jesus had warned about false teachers. And they also went back to Scripture. For them, the Scripture was just uh, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. And they went back and they, they read the Old Testament, but they read it with new eyes. They, they could read through 
the prophets and through Abraham and, and David, and they could see where this story was leading. They had just experienced the resurrection of Jesus, and so they knew what these people in the Old Testament had looked forward to. And so they read the Old Testament with new eyes, reading it in a Christ-centered way. This early church committed themselves to fellowshipping with one another. We often think that maybe uh, the brethren started the, the potluck meals or, or that you know, that's just something special that we came up with. Well, we see this in, in the Church of Acts, them sharing meals and fellowship with one another. It says they broke bread together. They shared regular meals together, but this breaking bread is also communion, sharing a worship experience of remembering the way Jesus had given his, his life to reunite us with the Father. It says they also committed themselves to prayer, lifting one another. The community of Jesus had received the Spirit. They began to live in these radical ways, in radical community. They shared goods in common. They cared for the, the physical needs of one another and the needs of those around them. They worshiped together. They did life together. It wasn't just about a Sunday morning thing. It wasn't just coming one day a week and hoping to build relationship with one another. It was shared experiences, shared meals, shared burdens throughout the week. And it must have been a beautiful thing. It must have been attractive to those outside the group. Because verse 47 says, they were praising God and having the goodwill of all the people, and day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. See, people were drawn to Jesus in part because they saw the community of Jesus' followers living out the way of Jesus. They saw the way the church cared for one another. They saw the way that it wasn't just words, but it was a lived experience. But this early church faced opposition. Saul was one of the biggest adversaries to the followers of the way of Jesus. And Saul encounters Jesus, and he is forever changed. He changes his name to Paul, and he begins to take the message of Jesus beyond its Jewish roots to the Gentiles, to the Greeks and the Romans. You know, these people that had no uh, history with the Jewish faith, who really didn't know all of the laws that they were supposed to follow. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. They experience the gifts of God. God is at work in their lives, even though they don't know all of the, the kosher diet and they don't know all the ways that they're supposed to follow the Sabbath and they're doing all this stuff very imperfectly. God is at work among the Gentiles, and this means change for the early church. And maybe this comes as a surprise to you, but change can often be hard for the church, right? That's not something new to us, some, not something new to the church in America. 
This is something that's been happening since the beginning of the church. Change can sometimes be hard. We see it here in the early church. They're wrestling with the question, how do Gentile Christians follow a faith that comes out of Jewish roots? What does it mean for a Roman believer to follow a Jewish Messiah? What does that look like? And imagine this, that change leads to conflict. Shocking. Conflict in the church. But the church comes together to discuss their differences. You can flip in your Bibles from Acts 2 to Acts 15. I'm not going to read the whole of that chapter. I encourage you to do that this week, to go and read all of the discussion and the arguing and the debating and the praying and the reading scripture that they do together in Acts chapter 15. They wrestle with what to do, with how to encourage the Roman and the Greek followers of Jesus. They go back to scripture. They discern or figure out the will of God together. And then they come to a conclusion. And this is Peter, Paul, all the big names of the early church. They come together. Those that had walked with Jesus. And I want you to hear their resolution. They send this letter in Acts chapter 15. And here's what the letter says. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the believers of the Gentile origin in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that certain persons who have gone out from us, though with no instructions from us, have said things to disturb you and have unsettled your minds, we have decided unanimously to choose representatives to send them to you, along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have, sent, we have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to impose on you no further burden than these essentials, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what is strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. This is one of the biggest post-Jesus decisions that the early church makes. It's an issue which threatens to divide the church. And this is the best they come up with. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. We sat and we talked about it, we debated, we heard each other, other's experiences, we went back to Scripture, and, and, and it seems like this is where the Holy Spirit is leading us. It seems like this is the mind of Christ. We, we've sat and we've wrestled with this together. There's no, thus saith the Lord, it's not one person's decision. Well, Peter decided this is how we're going to live. This is how Paul decided we're going to live. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. When we gathered together, when we studied Scripture together, when we prayed with one another, when we really listened to each other. The early brethren emerged at a time 
the biblical interpretation was often left to the priests or the educated. Even Martin Luther and John Calvin, who were really instrumental in reforming the church, often did the biblical interpretation for their community of faith. Seems like when, when they tried to turn Bible interpretation over to the uneducated, that they often came up with the wrong answers. So they would do it for them. But the brethren wanted to return to the example that lit, was lived out in the early church. And so two words emerged to define how the brethren thought of themselves. Two German words. The first one is Gemeinde. Turn to your, your neighbor and say Gemeinde. Gemeinde. We're learning a little bit of German this morning. All right, now this next one, you got to get a little bit more saliva going. All right? All right, get yourselves ready. Same, same root, but it's Gemeinschaft. Say Gemeinschaft. All right. It means community and commonality. The, the root of that is, is the German for common. It was about community and fellowship. What's interesting is the German word for church is Kirche. Okay? But that's not how they thought of themselves. They wanted to define themselves as a community of faith, as a fellowship of people, not a place or a building to go to. So they assisted one another with their wealth and their property. We talked last week a little bit about the way they cared for each other's needs. But they also valued studying Scripture together in the context of community. A few weeks ago, um, somebody called the church, and, and I think they had, were just trying to call pastors, and they kind of had an axe to grind with any pastor that would talk to we had a lengthy conversation. He wanted to know how we look at Scripture here at Spring Creek and how we teach our children about uh, Scripture and, and, and Jesus. And uh, it was an interesting conversation. I didn't... I asked the guy's name and he didn't give me the answer. Um, but I asked him some questions and we were talking about interpreting Scripture. And he said, you know, for me, he had obviously been turned off by a lot of churches. So that's maybe a little bit of his background. For him, interpreting Scripture, reading the Bible and figuring it out, he said, it's about me, the Bible, and Jesus. I sit in a room with me, the Bible, and Jesus, and I figure it out said, well, in my way of thinking, in my tradition, in, in the way that I see Scripture lived out, it's not just about me, Jesus, and the Bible. It's about the community helping me learn what Scripture is saying. See, when it comes to me, Jesus, and the Bible, I trust Jesus, and I trust Scripture. It's me I'm not sure about. See, I bring a lot of baggage with me. 
a lot of preconceived notions about what I want the scripture to say, about what I want Jesus to say, about what I hope Jesus is going to say. And you all do too. But as we come together and we wrestle with scripture together, as we discern and figure out the mind of Christ together, hopefully we're pointing some of these things out to each other. Well, I don't know. Maybe you're thinking about it this way because of your past experiences. Maybe you're coming to it from this perspective. We wrestle with it together. Even when I write a sermon, there's a lot of time spent with me, Jesus, in the Bible and, and prayer. But you know, it also involves hearing what's going on at Spring Creek. Hearing what's going on in the larger community, the larger culture. It involves seeing what, what others have said about this scripture, either through commentaries or other books, seeing what others are saying about this text. It may involve calling some people up or sending out some emails while I'm preparing a sermon and say, hey, read this scripture. I'm, I'm struggling with this part. What do you think it means? How do you see this getting lived out at Spring Creek. It's not just me and Jesus. It's like I said, I trust Jesus. It's me I'm not sure about. Reading scripture together doesn't mean that we always agree or always come to the same conclusions. We continue to wrestle with scripture and with seeking the mind of Christ, figuring out what does it mean for us to live this out today. And hopefully the church of Acts 15 is a model for us as their discernment process is wrapped in humility. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. One of the things that I have grown to appreciate here at Spring Creek is different perspectives, different backgrounds, different thoughts on how we follow Jesus together. That can be a real strength or it can be something that divides us and separates us. I hope it's something that draws us together, that we continue to wrestle with one another in ways that reflect Jesus' love and grace. See, as followers of Jesus, we are called to life in the body of Christ. To be baptized is to confess our sins, to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and it's also to be a part of a community of faith covenanting together to follow Jesus. We are imperfect people. This church is full of sinners and hypocrites. And sometimes people outside the church say, church is full of sinners and hypocrites. Absolutely, you're right. Yep, guilty. The difference is we know that Jesus has come and has loved us and has shown us grace that we cannot measure, has forgiven us of that. And we move forward forgiven and loved. We come together as imperfect people to walk with one another, to bear each other's burdens. And imperfectly 
we come together to seek the mind of Christ together. And we have arguments and we have disagreements. It's part of what it means to be human. But hopefully we deal with those disagreements in ways that reflect the love and the grace of Jesus. And so we come to our third story. It's our story. It's ours to tell. What does it mean for Spring Creek to continue in the model of the early church? They used a word called koinonia, fellowship. The early brethren used gemeindem, gemeinschaft. We use the English word, community, fellowship. What does it really look like for us to care for one another in radical ways, in ways that people outside look and say to themselves, I want that. I want to be a part of a group of people that, that cares for each other, that loves each other in the way they do. Because, man, I know them, I know some of them, and they're messed up people. But they love one another. They care for one another. And that gives us an opportunity when they say, what is it? Why do you live this way? Why do you come together? Why do you help one another out this way? You see, it's because together we've experienced the love and the grace of Jesus. And we want you to experience it too. In order to do that, we have to ask ourselves if we really want to commit ourselves to studying Scripture, to fellowshipping with one another, to breaking bread with each other, to praying with one another? Are we willing to lay aside our own agendas in order to seek God's will for Spring Creek, for our community, for our world? What story of spirit-filled, Jesus-led community do you and I want to tell together? That's the question.